Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends. Once again, it is the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me as always is the maestro of mail order mysteries, Eddie Guevara, and that superstar of horror magic, Chuck Caputo. Gentlemen, what's going on? How's it going all right, today? All right, pretty good. Awesome, man. We are coming off of the uh, of Christmas, so hope everyone out there had a good Christmas. I uh, hope all of our listeners had a good Christmas, and hopefully we were there. Uh, you know, maybe you were playing us in the background while you were opening up your presents that morning. <laughs> that had been really cool. So, yeah. So we are we are on the the week of the the last week of. 2021 thankfully hopefully 2022 will be a lot better we i think every year we hope that the next year will be better and you know most of the time it's not but hey we, we can still hope man it's like being a cleveland browns fan man always next year <laughs> so anyways man chuck how was your christmas and, and what do you got in store for the for the upcoming week oh man it was fantastic we had uh we, we had visited a lot of family members we slept over Sherry's sister's place and it was nice seeing everybody then we went to a couple other parties afterwards that you know on uh, Christmas day so it was very busy uh, I actually have one more show to do believe it or not before the before the conclusion of uh, 2021 and as far as New Year's Eve Joe we got I got uh, I got some homemade kielbasa some pork and uh, sauerkraut we're going to put in the in the crock pot and sci-fi is playing uh, a marathon as usual of the twilight zone so i can't wait awesome yeah that sounds like a great time where's your next show at uh it's at a private party so it'll be oh nice yeah so there's just one more to do then i'm done hey that sounds good man yeah i always i don't have cable anymore so i can't watch it but usually i'll put in the dvds of the the twilight zone but that was always my uh my for new year's yeah, I look, you know what, I've always looked forward to it probably for the last 15 years or so, man, you know, because it's, you know what, they actually play them from the very beginning, usually to the very end, and so it's like a 36-hour marathon. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, it's like crazy, man. I think this year I got a little bit different going on. I, my wife and I are going to go to my parents' house, and uh, we're going to watch the uh, the Michigan and Georgia game because we're, well, my me and my father are Michigan Wolverine fans, so... Oh. Nice. They're playing in the uh, playoff game, and if they win, they'll go to um, the national championship. And I'm not that big of a football fan, but you know, I, I thought it was really cool this year with Michigan. They they started off not ranked, and then <laughs> you know they battled all the way to number two. So anytime you could see a team, you know that that fights that much and you oh, know absolutely. does that well, it's always great to see that happening. So I think we'll, we'll watch that, and then. We'll head home and I'll probably throw on the uh, Twilight Zone or something until the ball drops and kiss the misses on the New Year's. And we'll go to bed. I'll have a few beers while I play some PlayStation and that's it. Or, or watch some old horror movies. <laughs> hey, sounds like a plan. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's no more going out and partying, you know, all hours of the night like we used to back in our, you know. Yeah. Our I'll tell you what, Joe, I don't take any shows on New Year's Eve or any major holidays anymore. I think the last show i took on new year's eve was probably about 10 11 maybe 12 years ago and you know what there's just a lot of crazy people out there driving around i don't want to go put myself in that kind of a kind of a situation you know so yeah, I, just, you know, that's I, the, I just stay home 
I, I'd rather stay home too, and you know, have have a beer or two and watch some TV. And it's it's better to just sit at home because you know, you like you said, you don't have. There's too many crazy people out there driving around out at the bars and everything. And it's it's better to stick it, you know, close to home. You know, absolutely. absolutely. So yeah. yeah, that's our plans. Eddie, what you got going on? How was your Christmas? I'll tell you, everything's been going well. I'll, I'll tell. Let me put it this way: Christmas is a little bit of a fooey. Uh, they gave me clothes, man. I'm upset. Clothes? <laughs> you know, I want toys. Yeah, man. And and they, they only got me one or two. But right now, one good news is that I just we just got two two new subscribers to our channel. Um, it just actually, I just saw it pop up right now. Uh, but anyway, here's the story. I have, it was really interesting. Tonight, I head out to have dinner uh, with my friend Jim and Charlie and Michael T there. And we were... Uh, having dinner and we were discussing what the topic was going to be on for tonight on the podcast. And, you know, we're going back and forth about the B, you know, the movies from the 1960s, early fifties, whatever, or late fifties and early sixties, should I say. And across that, my friend Jim gives me a Christmas present that was pretty good. In fact, he might've toppled the list. I've never seen it, but it's called Lugosi, the forgotten King. And it's uh, with uh, Forrest, your host, Forrest J. Ackerman. It's actually a, about two hours long, and it has the entire story of uh, the movies he did, and his life story, and even Sarah Karloff is in it. So I'm kind of excited to see this. I will also make sure you guys get your own copies of this. Uh, it's not available, I think, anywhere and stuff, but I, I will burn for you guys, you know, because uh, it's just for us. It's... Uh, it's a very, very interesting video. Now, nice. uh, another thing I wanted to bring is, uh, you know, the fact that, unfortunately, the magic set didn't come out before Christmas, but it's coming out in the next day or two. I'm actually uploading tonight the free videos that come there, which is a course that Chuck uh, put together several years ago. And, uh, you know, he sold it throughout his... Uh, travels and you know different shows he did and it's got i think 13 or 15 magic tricks there chuck uh 13 yep 13 and i'm also including a a two-page uh copies of some tricks that chuck taught which were also mentalism uh you'll be able to trick your friends and family into thinking you have mysterious <laughs> powers that you can read the future in fact it's so convincing that a lot of your friends are going to pull you over to the side, uh, Joe and Chuck, and ask you, hey, do you know the lottery tickets <laughs> for next week? So, I mean, it's pretty convincing. But anyway, that's what I'm up to. And I can't wait to start the list of our movies for this week. Well, that sounds good, man. I'm excited to, to go through them. So why don't you go ahead and start it off for us, and we'll, we'll oh, take it from there. Okay, we have a list of five movies here. And the five movies we want to see, which of you guys rate them and in where do you put them? If you haven't watched them, uh, shame on you. Are you a true fanatic? Are you a true sci-fi person? Well, we'll know soon. And I have a feeling Joe might not be that true sci-fi person because I have a feeling he might not have watched all of them. But the list is one. I want to put the list as to what I think is the best. In my opinion, well, it's all Chuck. Do you have a list as well? 
Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. He uh, told me, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, names of the movies and so forth. And I saw most of them. You know what? And I just brushed up on one or two of them. But uh, yes. Uh -huh. Well, let's let's start off from number five and work our way to, to number one. Uh, okay. Number five. Okay. I, I was going to work for number one. Thanks for stopping me. So this way, number five to me, I would say is the thing from another world. Okay. You want me to now? Go why? Why was that your? Why is that your number five out of all well, of them? Do you want me to tell the whole list from five to one? No, okay. just well, just why do you? Why did you put okay, that as your number five? Okay, the the thing from another world. The reason I think it's number five is it's a great film. It's done. In, I mean, it's phenomenal. The idea behind it. It has some very good uh, visuals. But you know what? It's kind of like in search of Bigfoot kind of thing. They find a monster. They melt the monster in the attic up in uh, somewhere in, in the North Pole, and the creature starts killing the crew. Okay. Now, number four. Should I go to number four? You guys want to take a, a crack at it? Yeah, we'll go with our number five. So, Chuck, go ahead with your number five. Yeah, I would have to agree with Eddie there. Uh, yeah, I would. I, I definitely put that at number five. Okay. All right. Now, what, why did the same reasons then for Eddie then? Yeah, I I wasn't impressed too much to be honest with you. I mean, it was okay, you know, and uh yeah, I just uh, th that would be the least of the five. Okay. All right. So for my number 5, I have Forbidden Planet from 1956. And I I think the reason I I went with Forbidden Planet is I I just watching it I, I it was an interesting movie and I I think the uh, the concept of the id is very interesting. However, I just wasn't really too impressed with it. Now, I, I do love the robot. I do love um, the way that they, you know, did the special effects for the id. I thought Leslie Nielsen was fantastic with it. Anne Francis was fantastic. It, the, the cast was great. I just, you know, I, I just really couldn't get into the the movie too much. I mean. You know, maybe talk to me next week, and this I might have the movie at number three or, or two or something like that. But, you know, going through it, and you know, I, out of these movies that we're going to talk about, I think it's going to have to be uh, my number five. So that's my reasons. Okay. All right. Off, off to you, Eddie. What do you got for number four? Well, <laughs> number four for me is Earth. Well, let, let me put it not, not, um, I made a mistake there. Um, this planet, this island Earth, this island Earth is number four for me. And I'll say why. It's got a good idea. Good. Uh, uh, it was it actually took, according to what the science says, two and a half years in the making. Um, so the budget was, I heard, pretty high. It was, I don't know, equivalent. If, if Chuck, I believe you told me it was six million dollars. Or am I, I talking I no, think no. that was on. I think that was on the Forbidden uh, Planet. Okay, on the Forbidden. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that was a pretty high budget on that one. It, it really was. You know, the, the thing with, and I gotta agree with Joe on that Forbidden Planet, but I'll give you my input when I get to it. So my opinion is, uh, this island Earth. I like the fact that Russell Johnson, which is a professor from Gilligan's Island, is on it. I like the idea a bit with it. It was done in color. Uh, but I will leave that as number four. It was not, I was, I, I liked it. I liked the idea with it, but it was not that much action. It was a simple plot. Um, I, I leave it at number four. So go ahead now, uh, Chuck. Hey guys, real, real quick. Let me step in here just for our audience. So they don't think we're kind of just, 
you know, picking movies at randoms. We have five movies that we're, we're choosing from, and I'll, I'll let you guys know the movies and then because we're putting them in our own order. So the movies are Earth. Well, let's go in. I'll go in order from when they came out. The Thing from Another World, 1951. The Day the Earth Stood Still, 1951. This Island Earth, 1955. Earth versus the Flying Saucer, 1956, and Forbidden Planet, 1956. So we're choosing uh, which order from, you know, we're going to start off from our number five to number one of just these movies of, of why we liked them, why we didn't like them. I think we all really liked the movies, but some better than the others. So just so everyone out there doesn't think that we're just, you know, uh, picking five random movies from the fifties the or sixties. So I just wanted to throw that out there, but go ahead, Chuck, what, what do you have out of that list from number four? Well, you know what? Eddie and me must be having the same mentalism. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the, the exact same thing. I love Russell Johnson. I mean, I always thought he was a talented guy. He popped up in different things throughout the years. You know, you know, uh, uh, probably the most famous, like he said, was uh, Gilligan's Island as the uh, professor. But uh, I mean, it was it was a decent movie, but uh, but I would give it number four. Definitely. OK, awesome. All right. So for my my number four, I have uh, this island Earth from 1955. And um, I told you, I just watched this movie uh, over the summer at the Vandergriff Drive drive uh, in on the big screen and it was it, it was fantastic first time i've seen it and you know it, it's a great movie um you know some people that you talk to you say that's kind of slow in the the beginning and then it picks up uh, really when the the metaluna monster you know aliens come out I, I i thought it was a good movie from start to finish i didn't think there was really any dull moments my only gripe with it is you have this great concept of the metaluna you know monsters aliens whatever you want to call them but <laughs> You know, you only use them for the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, and they're, they're you know, only have limited screen time. So that was kind of my only gripe with it. Um, I thought Jeff Morrow was great. Faith uh, Domagru was great. Rex Reason was great. The, the cast, all that was was excellent. The special effects for 55 were were really good. The, the story in general was was good in itself. Um but I, I would have liked to have seen more of the uh, the Metalunas. I, I think they're really really cool design. So that's what I got for my my number four. Any uh, well, let's go. What's your number number three, well, Eddie? Uh, I want to bring in something concerning the number four, which is across the board for us three, which is interesting. Is the fact that if you look at the mutant, uh, did you guys notice that he's wearing pants? Yeah, <laughs> the reason yeah. is I think they couldn't make the legs for it, or it's I like a, a, alien up top, business on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was kind of funny because I think they just wore pants because they couldn't make the legs for it, and they just cut corners and put pants on them. So yeah, I, but I tell you what, the, the 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 top parts were were great, and the little the pinchers they had. I like I said, they're a really cool design. I just man, they should have just been in it a little bit more. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I, I definitely agree. But anyway, number three for me, I would put Forbidden Planet. And I'm going to tell you why Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet would be my number two. I love Robbie the Robot. Uh, Forbidden Planet is one of probably one of the biggest sci-fi movies that was, you know, at the era done, uh, very well written, the story behind it. Uh, the thing with Forbidden Planet that I think kind of scared me is that I hate 
the background psychedelic sound that it had. <laughs> Throughout the whole film, you hear like, and then at the end, when the force field, the monster goes through, it looked like the Tasmanian devil from Bugs Bunny. <laughs> so that's kind of me. Other than that, I, I'm going to give the movie a one in one one particular side of the field. One of the, of, of the field here. So one is it's got the best artwork of all the movies we're talking about. Two, not only does it have the best artwork, it also has the best looking flying saucer. So, and the robot is also the best. That's the only thing. But the thing that's kind of also, this is a tidbit that very few people know is they still don't know who actually drew the cover for that movie or the artwork wow. where the Pope, where the Robbie is carrying the woman. They don't know who actually to credit that to, to this day. It's wow. not known who painted that, which is bizarre. But that's that's why it's my number three. My the reason I went to number three is the music in the background, and third, second, the creature, kind of looked cartoonish <laughs> for the whole pre, you know percept of the movie because you're looking at it and you think it's like well anyway go ahead go ahead Chuck what's yours? Uh, mine would have been uh, Earth versus the uh, flying saucers. Uh, you know what? It was it was a good movie. I think the aliens kind of turned me off a little bit. I mean, their their helmets almost look like a melted garbage can lid, like a plastic garbage can lid. And I don't know. They just, uh, uh, you know, the aliens didn't look too hot. I mean, you know, from far away, they looked like mushrooms with like long arms. And uh, I like certain parts though. Certain parts where the where the where the uh, spaceships flew into the, uh, you know, the buildings in uh, Washington, D.C. and so forth. That was kind of cool. But uh, it wasn't real good, but it was okay. Uh, I would I would give that third place for that one. All right, cool. All right, so for my third place, I have The Day There Stood Still from 1951. And um, I kind of put this in the middle because – you know, I, I I do think this is a gr- this is a great movie. I mean, this is right at the the start. You know, Cold War started a few years before that, so you had all the the suspicions going on in in the United States and elsewhere. So this movie really kind of touches on the themes of the uh, the Cold War, and you know, you're also you know Roswell was a few years before that, so you know you have all these anxieties going on in the United States and the world. And I think that this movie kind of really uh, tried to, to play off of them. And I tell you what, the, the robot Gort, I thought it was, was a cool robot just for its, its simplicity. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's a good movie. Like I said, this is another one that talked to me next week and it might be, you know, at number two. So I, I was really trying to, to figure out where to put this. And I decided kind of right in, in the middle, um, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's great. Uh, Michael Rennie's great as uh, as Klaatu, which is uh, you know a uh, a great character in itself. You know, one of the the classic uh, sci-fi characters in, in the robot. It, it you know Gord is obviously another one that's you know you know very you know a- anyone that watches sci-fi movies and sees that robot knows exactly where it's from. So. That's what I got at my number three. All right, number two, Eddie, what do you got? Well, here is an interesting thing. The reason I pick Earth versus the Flying Saucers is that I know the premises. I know the aliens look kind of crappy, but the whole scene was actually built by uh, Ray Harryhausen, where you see the 
the thing, the spaceship crashing to the White House. I love the flying saucer of it, and I like the artwork that it portrays. I think the whole storyline of it was pretty cool. I mean, that's the only thing that turns off is the aliens. But you know what? It was black and white. It reminds me of the Earth, the day, you know, the day the Earth sits still. I did enjoy the movie. I just like the flying saucers and the way it's portrayed in Washington. And then when they disintegrate the tanks and stuff, I, I kind of really, I would put it in number two because I did enjoy that film. Okay, awesome. All right, Chuck, what do you got for number two? Uh, the number two slot, really cool movie, man. You know what? I always enjoyed watching it. I haven't seen it for a while, but uh, uh, the Forbidden Planet, uh, that's a really cool movie, man. It just appealed to me. I like the whole concept. I like the whole concept. Dr. Morbius went there on a scouting team 20 years prior, and he found the civilization of the of the Krill, and um, it was just really neat. It was just a cool concept. I like the idea about the id also because, you know, that gets into modern psychology. You know what I mean? And uh, Dr. William Rohl, who was one of the leading parapsychologists, you know, he passed away. He said that that's what a poltergeist is. Uh, basically, the work, you know, uh, the work creating these noisy ghosts, uh, you know, via, you know, the, you know, like the minds of uh, uh, it seems like uh it seems like a mostly like a teenage type of a kid uh, plays the most role in this. Like if you track down the, you know, like the, uh, uh, like the history of the poltergeist, it goes back to like teenagers for some reason. I thought the whole concept was cool about the movie. Um, I love Robbie the robot. I mean, that transporter, that taxi type of thing that he had was really, really neat. I like the actors in there. Uh, I think one of the people, if possibly the only one still alive is Earl Hollerman. I think he's about 92, 93 years old. He started in the very first Twilight Zone. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, but he went to a town that was completely vacant. And there was like a hot cup of coffee, like in a diner. There was a cigar that was sitting there that was still smoking, but there was no people there. It was a really, really cool concept there. Uh, Anna Francis did a great job on there as well. She was in two Twilight Zones, one where she played a mannequin, and I can't remember the other one right now. But yeah, that would be my number two pick. Okay, awesome, man. Great. All right, so for my number two, I have Earth versus the Flying Saucers, 1956. Um, like Eddie said, you know, the stop motion special effects were by Ray Harryhausen, and they were fantastic. I mean, just seeing some of these flying saucers, you know, crashing into and destroying some of our most iconic, you know, structures in the United States, you know, if it doesn't resonate or hit a, a a, a spot with you now you know imagine being in the early 1950s like i said you're at the height of the cold war you know you're fresh off of um roswell uh science fiction is just absolutely booming with the, the flying saucer you know hysteria going around and then you have this movie coming out showing flying saucers coming from outer space and, and destroying you know our capital or, or washington <laughs> monument I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, being a kid or, or even an adult, you know, watching this movie back then because it would really resonate with you and kind oh, of man. probably really scare you. And I tell you what's really cool about this is that it's based off the 1953 book Flying Saucers from Outer Space by uh, Major Donald Kehoe. Kehoe and uh, he was he was real big into, you know, UFO study and UFO culture. Um, 
He co-founded NICAP, which is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena in 1956. So right around when the movie came out. Um, and they were real big at, at starting the whole um, the whole phase and all that of, you know, scientifically researching UFOs and publishing um, magazines and stuff on UFOs and really looking into what they are rather than just being kind of like a fanboy of, you know, flying saucers and little green men and all that. So he really took it seriously and he had the backing, you know, to take it, it seriously from, you know, being in the, the military and all that. So uh, if you guys never heard of NICAP or anybody out there or Major Donald uh, Kehoe, definitely look him up and take a look at his career and everything that he started in the UFOs because it was really the forerunner for you know, what we have now, MUFON and, um, you know, a few of the other groups that are out there. So he was, you know, one of the ones that the the spearhead of, you know, really looking into these uh, phenomenon. So that's what I got at my number two and just a little bit about it. All right, Eddie, you're number one. What do you got? Well, let me bring another face on number two there. Let me just say another thing about it. One is I just watched yesterday. One film I watched was Olympus Has Fallen. I think with Russell Crowe, if I'm correct, the actor. Yeah. Um the film was phenomenal. It's kind of funny with the similarities where the um, they knocked down the Washington Monument uh, through one of the helicopters or something that crashed in or the plane. I thought that was kind of funny because Earth versus the Flying Saucer has that. Um, but anyway, going forward, my number one, and I'll say why, is one, there's three things about the day the Earth stood still that make it my number one. Okay? One... I like Michael Rennie. Michael Rennie became one of my favorite actors when he acted as the keeper in Lost in Space. Now, having been a kid in the 70s and watching Lost in Space every day after television, I mean, <laughs> at school, there was one thing that resonated with me always. The robot, Will Robinson, and the laser pistol. Because of that, I fell in love with the How to Build Your Own Laser Pistol from the Johnson Smith company because they look like the one from lost in space. I always wanted my robot. And that's why, yes, Joe, I want to search for the robot plants Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> because I've always loved robots. And what made me fall in love with robots was the lost in space robot B9. At first, Robbie, the robot was scary to me because when it appeared as the robot toy in the episode, the 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 robot battle of the robots, I think it's called from Lost in Space. He was a bad robot. He was found in 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 some part uh, foreign planet. Will Robinson, again my idol at the time, fixes the robot against everybody's will. They told him to leave it alone. B nine kept warning, warning, warning. Don't fix it. So apparently, he fixed it, and then he was a conniving robot trying to win over the the uh, Robinson family, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously at the end of the episode, B9 um, fights the Ro Ro Robbie the robot and he wins. But it was kind of funny though, because Robbie was a little more powerful than him. And every time the fight would go on with the music, I would put my feet up again on the sofa because I was scared. But the thing also that brought this movie home to me is because the kid in the movie kind of acts a little bit like Will Robinson. Definitely, uh, yeah. He goes back and forth, and so I have I can compare both films kind of like in the same... Now, 
I know my friend Jim said, well, it was in black and white. And I was going to say, well, the problem is when I came and I was small in the 70s, <coughs> excuse me, in the 70s, my television was black and white. So I watched everything in black and white. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't really realize that Lost in Space was in color because I just didn't have a color television. So the point is that here you have also Michael Rennie. Michael Rennie played the keeper in Lost in Space, another phenomenal episode in where Dr. Sacrally Smith accidentally knocks down. There's this, this trailer where all these weird monsters start coming out from. And you could see that they, they reused the same makeup and stuff from different movies, like from the Twilight Zone, because the monsters are very well known throughout different other sci-fi movies of the time. But that area also made me raise my feet up on the sofa because it was scary the way all the monsters came out of the thing. So having said that, when I watched later on in life, when I was a little old and I watched The Day the Earth Stood Still, it made the film phenomenal. Awesome idea behind it. Awesome graphics. The woman was really pretty. The guy goes and he goes among, and then you have a, an Einstein kind of professor, which also reminds me of the professor from Gilligan's Island. Um, you know, where he's trying to solve this equation. The point is that the film from beginning to end really, really was very entertaining. And I've probably seen it about 15 times. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I also enjoyed another thing. I'm a fanatic of the old fashioned Jeeps, like the, what they call the Willys. Oh, yeah. Big steering wheel and stuff yeah. like that. And that's, so I honestly, everything in that movie I like. Gort, as a robot, yeah, I'm more fond of Lost in Space. I'm more fond of Robbie. But I got to say, though, Court was kind of cool, the way the visor would open up and he had a laser shooting out of there. So I could say, you know, I like Gort as well. But he would be, it would be Robbie. And again, as, as I got older, I realized how good Robbie was. And I like Robbie the robot. So he kind of overwhelmed the fact that he overtook in my life, the like, you know, from B9. So I would put Robbie first, B9, which was always my favorite robot. In fact, as a kid, I used to make copies of him with newspapers. And I would actually put it together with tape and make like 3D models of, of you know, the Lost in Space B9 robot. But like I said, as time went on, I started liking Robbie more. It's better made. It's It looks like a cooler robot. It's all black. And B9 became my second. But I would say Gort is the third in my in my you know, in my uh, feelings, in my, uh, the way I like robots. And of course, the, ro <laughs> the robot plans fall in the book there somewhere. If, any Take a drink. <laughs> if anybody has them, please let me know, man. <laughs> Connect me at houseoftheunusual.com. I really want those plans. But other than that, you know what? That's where I stand. So my number one would definitely be uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Unfortunately, Jim, my friend, doesn't feel the same way. He feels the thing from another world is number one. Yeah. But um, I can't. I gotta say though, uh, the I agree with Chuck on that. So go ahead, you 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 go, Chuck. Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. My my number one out of these five, anyway, is the day the Earth stood still. It was it was just very very well written. Uh, I love Patricia Neal in there. Uh, she did a bang up job. Uh, Michael Rennie. Gort is very, very cool. I mean, man, just the idea um, of, of, of him just standing there and nobody could really, really do anything. Uh, yeah, with his, uh, with his, 
with his helmet and I, I like the little light going back and forth almost what what's called as a larson scanner nowadays it's it's just a it's just a cool concept uh yeah the uh the young boy in there was neat i you know what the whole concept was was very very neat it was overall well well written you know what i could i could watch that movie probably maybe 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 two or three times a year it's it's a really cool movie all right awesome all right so for my number one i have the thing from another world uh sometimes referred to as just the thing from 1951 and um I, I tell you why I put this at number one, and like I said, th- this could really switch places with Earth versus the Flying Saucer, but I, I really had to put it at number one for these reasons. So, you know, the, the world, the United States in, in particular, just came off of World War II, 1945. You had Roswell in 1947, and everybody's, you know, they're they're coming, they're, they're still coming down from the impact of of all these things going on in the world. Um, you're at the start of the cold war now. So, you know, you're, you're skeptical of everyone. You don't know who's a spy, who's an undercover, you know, communist and all there. You have McCarthyism going on, you know, and it's the world's kind of going crazy, but it's still kind of rebuild, trying to rebuild. Right, and then right. you have this movie come out, um, the thing from another world, and it is, it, I mean, it, it's terrifying, you know, you have all these people that are in the Arctic, they're, they're alone, they're secluded from the, the rest of the world, and, you know, here, here's this alien, you know, we, nobody at the time knows what aliens look like, there's no kind of really concept, that, except for what they've seen in, in, you know, the pulps and all that, and some of the serials, and some of the early movies, but, you know, when James Arness comes out, as the thing he's absolutely frightening you know and there's so many underlining themes in this movie of communism and mccarthyism that you know i could see people that are watching this just being absolutely terrified you know for those reasons along with special effects and the story in general so they're getting hit from a lot of different directions with this and and i think it, it really works because it's not kind of like it's not really in your face they're very underlined and you kind of have to I've either been living in that time, you know, to understand them or have have to know a little bit about that period to understand, you know, what's going on in that movie. And there's a um, the guy that plays Ned Scotty Scott, Douglas Spencer. He has uh, uh, last the last uh, few sentences in the movie where he's talking to a broadcaster. And I tell you what, this is it's this is very scary because now it resonates to, you know, even today. And he he tells the broadcaster Tell the world, tell this to everybody, wherever mm-hmm. they are. Watch Great. the skies everywhere. Keep looking, keep watching the skies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, how fantastic is that? I mean, it's terrifying and fantastic at the same time. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's just a great, great, great movie. And, um, you know, there's the, the, the book who goes there, um, from 1938 by, uh, John Campbell Jr. It's, definitely on my my list to read because i really want to see how they changed up the uh the movie from the book because i know it's it's kind of loosely based off of it you know they had to put their own kind of stuff in it and a lot of people don't really realize is that at the time um really during world war ii and even a little bit prior to that but you know in in world war ii and through the cold war is that the government played a huge role in Hollywood 
in putting out propaganda to help them with the war effort, to help them with, you know, fighting communists and all that. So th- there's really a lot of it in these movies, especially in the fifties and, and the sixties, these sci-fis and all that. And, you know, if you do a little bit of reading, you know, if people out there aren't sure about that time period, you know, read a little bit about communism to go back and watch these movies and you'll really find that there, you know, there's a lot of these underlining themes for you know, communism, McCarthyism, you know, don't trust your, your neighbors, you know, you don't know who is who. And, um, it, it's really crazy. Did you guys find that out too? You know, with these movies from the fifties? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a very good point, Joe. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. There is underlying uh, messages in there. Absolutely. Positively. Yeah. And it, I can only imagine, you know, living at the time and even today we have movies, you know, Today's movies, they don't really have the underlying message. They kind of, they try to throw them in your face and it really takes the artistic value out of a lot of these movies. Right. Whereas these older movies, they had the political and the social messages in them, but they, you know, they weren't in your face. They, they ran with the movies. They were, you know, they were very artistic in what they were doing. And, um, I think that's great. You know, I'm all, you know, I'm all for that. As long as it's in an artistic way, I don't like stuff being thrown in my face. No, exactly. But the way that they did these in the fifties, if you didn't really know about it, you wouldn't, you know, understand it. Unless, like I said, you were living at that time, or you kind of studied, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on during that time frame. You know, hey, the no. one thing, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention, Joe. I, 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 speaking of aliens, I did watch your Susie Snowflake, and I know you sent me a uh, photograph. But, uh, but in, in one of the previous podcasts, we had talked about the commercial. You know what? If anybody out there is listening and, and you like to check this out, go on YouTube and look up. Susie Snowflake, wow, she did look like an like a gray. You're right. The face on her was just it was it was just like an amorphous face. I mean, there was nothing there, and uh, it was just a just a bizarre. It was it was a bizarre commercial. I mean, that thing would have scared the crap out of me if I was a kid. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah, that's real weird. I wonder if I kind of wonder if the the makers of that movie did that on purpose. You know. <laughs> to kind of maybe scare people stuff but yeah it's wow. it's really weird <laughs> i just I see I, you know what i was just watching it um i was watching the monster channel earlier today while i was i was doing some other stuff and Susie snowflake came on and, oh and along God. with um hard rock coco and joe and i right. had watched them both again but yeah she's just that that alien face it, it is almost like an alien coming down an alien gray with with these wings and floating around the uh wow you know the, uh, the snowflake wife. i showed yeah. that commercial to my wife and she even said "Ooh, that's that's a terrible uh commercial a rapid tap tap at your window and it's just it was just a bizarre commercial man i didn't see any kind of appeal to it for kids at all yeah <laughs> you know when you when you guys say all that and joe and you said about the underlying messages in a lot of those old-fashioned I guess it goes back probably in in things like, for example, when you have writers like Edgar Allan Poe, all the stories that he wrote had an underlying message of who he really was, I guess. And I think it went as far as the early 60s or late 60s, uh, where like Batman and Robin, every time you see the original Batman and Robin, there was always some underlying message, especially Mm -hmm. for kids like Robin. Do not cross the road. Look both ways, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and it was kind of funny because you never caught it as a kid, really. But they, they had those underlying messages. And I don't yeah, know. It you hit got... your subconscious. Right. And, and I don't know if you guys, are, like, there's one particular movie, and I'm sure, Joe, you've heard it. What is it called? The Screaming Skull? 
Oh There's yeah. You know that, that they all have this underlying they used to call it there was a name for it. Um that it would give you a message, but you have to like it kind of would go into your brain. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Joe? You're talking about like telekinesis? No, no, no. Like movies like the skull, um, the screaming skull that it says um outside the box where when you buy all the videotape, I remember it said something that uh the name of it is something psychological. It would ha- it had like a built-in mm-hmm. idea, built-in thing that was trying to impress the the audience. Um, there is a name for that. Like they try to scare you, so, uh, basically um, trick your brain into being scared by what they. There was a name for that. Um, I, I, Joe, if you have a computer, you could probably look it up. But anyway, yeah, there's, there, there was always an underlying message in those movies and stuff. And I think probably in the early seventies they stopped doing that. Um, cause you did have like, you know, cartoons like fat Albert, uh, a lot of those cartoons had underlying messages to try to teach kids the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you on that, Joe, when you said and, and stuff and, and the way that some of those movies were in a way scary, uh, such as a snowflake, which it is weird cause it is kind of like a faceless <laughs> doll, which again, I wonder if whoever did it had something to do with the Amish dolls. Um, maybe they read something. I mean, because a lot of times when you watch cartoons growing up and stuff, all the cartoons had some type of uh, political thing in them, especially the Bugs Bunny and Popeye cartoons. Um, But if you look at anything growing up or anything in in the 70s, early 80s and stuff, there was always some type of thing that they would somehow put in movies with some type of message. I think where it started losing when, like, say, Halloween started becoming famous. The movie Halloween, Michael Myers, and it went on and on and on. Then things became repetitive. There was really no underlying messages anymore. It was simply the same thing being repeated over and over and over again, just to make money out of the same thing. Like Star Wars. I mean, a lot of people. I grew up in Star Wars when Star Wars first came out. I saw it in the movie theater, and I was like, "Wow, Star Wars!" But you know, after a while, how many times can you sell Star Wars? How many times are you going to do the same thing over and over? And I mean, I do have an original Luke Skywalker action figure. I have an original Super 8 200 uh, foot black and white film, silent. I have that stuff. But to be honest with you, it means nothing to me, even though some people will pay hundreds of dollars for it. But I don't I don't see the it's not for me, though. For me, it, it has very little meaning. Um, and I think they just burned out. And that's what I think happened in the 80s. They just ran out of ideas and they just took the same thing and repeated it over and over. I mean, how many Halloweens can come out? How many exorcists can come out? Oh, yeah. Friday, the, many, Friday the 13th. Yeah, so, Friday the yeah. 13th. It's the same thing over Ooh. and over again. Is one yeah. guy comes out, kills everybody, saw threes, and then they get so grotesque and stuff. Like, And honestly, come on, man. In fact, I guarantee you half of the stuff that happens out there is because how grotesque the films have been. When we look back at the days of the 1940s and 50s, when you had Alfred Hitchcock and you, for example, um, have a, you know, whatever, a shadow of a guy plunging a knife into somebody. The fact you don't see the person doing it and you see the shadow scare the crap out of me. But yeah, now they actually show the thing and you're like, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the just like you know, you look at The Walking Dead, the first episode, you the same thing over and over. 
I yeah. just don't get into that anymore. I think they came up with a term for that for for that Eddie. It's called jumping the shark from Happy Days when Fonzie jumped the shark tank. That hit an all time low. It was like man, they ran out out of ideas. And uh, yeah, with The Walking Dead, <laughs> I was such a big fan of that for about the first seven seasons. I can't even watch it anymore. It's just. It's like it's like so uh, redundant. It's it wow! Is. I can't I can't stomach it anymore. I can't watch it. Yeah, I think I, I watched the first five seasons, and then I'm like, every season's the same. They're running from zombies. They find a place to live. There's you know some type of squabble with the people there. Then they all become friends. They fight zombies. Yeah. Repeat. You, you know thing. what? You know what I think is wrong with that show? It doesn't have. I know it's supposed to be some type of nuclear disaster. Why are the people? zombies why are they turning you know like there's really no it doesn't tell much and i gotta tell you something regardless what is this if i god forbid i talk i say something while my watch my wife is watching an episode i'm sleeping outside in the street that night. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you know what i'm saying i love the blacklist i'm, I'm you know i think james spader and the blacklist is phenomenal i i personally got into that show i know there's a lot of well in fact tv shows today are better written than movies from before. The only problem is that, you know, you can only watch so many of them uh, without being caught up, you know, and then you're stuck watching season. Then you're like anxious, waiting for the next episode. And, and that's the thing I hate, you know, especially now that NBC decides to the next episode of The Blacklist, which I'm dying to see, is like January 6th. So I've gone like four weeks and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch it. So I kind of avoid weekly shows for that reason. I'd rather see the movie. And I got to tell you something. Like, for example, this was kind of funny. Olympus Has Fallen uh, was such a good film that actually had me fighting in some scenes. And my wife goes, are you going to fight the guy? I'm throwing yeah. punches. Like, get him, get him, you know? <laughs> wow. And, and and that was kind of funny. You know, movies that I think are top-notch today that were very well done, thought of, and I got to give Disney credit for this, is The Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh the, yeah, the very first one. The very first one has everything we. I mean, I mean, I like, and I think Joe and you guys are probably the same. You have skeletons. You got haunted ghost ships. You have um, pirates, treasure, and I mean, come on, man, Johnny Depp has got to be the best pirate ever. Oh, and yeah. the other guy, Captain Barboza, those guys were born into that part. Oh, great! You can. I mean, they're awesome. So that that's my feel with overall. Yeah, and uh, I like their I like their teeth on there, man. That's that's uh, pretty realistic because <laughs> they didn't really have things to brush their teeth with uh, back in those days and everything. So they they kept it realistic, you know. <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> How about you? Joe? I tell you, you were talking about nuclear war movies, and um, I, there was one that I watched recently, which I'm going to save it for next week to leave everyone in suspense but it is a uh it was a it was a made for for tv movie from over in england and some of the people might might already know what i'm talking about but it was probably one of the the scariest movies i've, I've ever watched and it was kind of um it's about you know the this small village leading up to nuclear war and then the after effects of nuclear war in decades past. And there's some gruesome scenes, but I tell you what, for, for any of us, and I and I lived, you know, through the, the tail end of the Cold War, you guys, you know, were in it kind of like, in, you know, 
towards the middle end. Um, you know, but I still remember, you know, hiding under, you know, desks doing those drills and all that in the eighties. So this movie and, and somebody recommended it to me and this movie was absolutely frightening. I mean, it was frightening on a level where you, you could feel it in, inside you because, you know, there's always that threat that this could happen. And this movie was, I mean, it was spot on. And not only were the special effects great, the storyline was great. And um, we're going to definitely talk about it next week because I've been wanting to, to, to mention it for a while. I think everyone out there that's a fan of horror movies, you know, apocalypse movies, stuff like that should definitely see this. And, um, guaranteed it's going to frighten everybody but uh you know it, it's it really goes to show you know after watching this movie what came out in the 80s and you watch some of the you know post-apocalypse movies now and man did they really change from like the 50s because you know you've seen some of those post-apocalypse movies and you know we, we always won you know the good guys always kind of came out on top and you know, beat the aliens, beat them back. And it seems like anymore, it's almost like a lost cause. Do you guys see that too? And, you know, in the uh, movies where, you know, we're always doomed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the kind of movies I, I kind of tend, tend to go for Joe are the kind of the, the ones that are abstract where, where, where there's the ending, you know what? It's like, it's like up in the air and, and there's like variables, you know what? Like I'm talking like about the butterfly effect. Uh, Vanilla Skies with Tom Cruise, you know what things like that where the, where the endings are so bizarre where you, where you really can't figure out what the ending really is. You know what I mean? There are movies like that, and they kind of get my attention the most. I don't know why, but it's just you know it's just pretty cool. Yeah. What do you? How about you, Ed? What do you think? Well, uh, I'm wondering. You gonna tell us the name of the movie at least? No, I'm gonna. You know, I am going to keep it a, a secret until next week because i i want you guys to tune in and everyone out there to tune in because i'm gonna tell you what this i i watched this movie and it and it, it downright frightened me it is a it, it's a wow. frightening it is a frightening movie and i love scary movies i don't get frightened much but just watching it and thinking that this what they're showing i mean it, it's so um it's just so realistic and, and it's the people that did the when I was reading up on it, the people that did the um, the writing and all that, they actually researched kind of and talked to scientists on, you know, what it would be like. And they incorporated it into this movie. And it's it's crazy to think that it, it could happen. I mean, it is a very hmm. frightening movie, to say the least. But I'm going to keep it for next week, man. Keep everybody on the edge of their seats for it. <laughs> all right. All yes. right. I mean. But other than that, I you know I do feel the same way that I mean, it's it it could be I, I don't remember I don't remember exactly I'm still trying to think of the name. Um, I was actually trying to look it up now, for what they called that thing that was used uh, back in the fifties when they had an underlying message. Um, it says uh, with the screaming skull, we guarantee to bury the victim. I like the way it says, free. We guarantee to bury you without charge if due to the frightening, if if you die due to fright during the screaming (laughs) skull. What is it called? It was called, um, oh my God. You guys don't remember, Joe, what I'm talking about? No, I can't. No. And you know, you'll probably think about it tonight when you're laying in bed. You'll be like, oh shit, this is it right here. It's called something (laughs) like psychedelic. 
Psychokinesis. No, 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 no. You got to look at it. I thought the Screaming Skull was one of them, but I don't see it here. It's something that they try to put an underlying message. And like I'm sure a lot of listeners probably are trying to be, Eddie, it's this, it's this. <laughs> and, and they, they, Psychological, probably, is it, is it a psychological thriller type of thing? Is that what it's, no, no, it's what it is, is that it has an underlying message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it hits your subliminal. Mm-hmm. That's it. Sub, that's it. That's oh, you're way off. Psychos and these, oh, yeah, subliminal. God, subliminal. <laughs> yeah, they try to do that. And with the way they played that off in old films, I think the Screaming Skull, I'm not seeing it here, but I think there was one or 13 Ghosts. Some, but what they would do is they would flash things in the background to try to subliminal, you know, subliminal or whatever oh, okay. to your okay, brain. I know. Right. And that was used a lot in the 1950s. I don't think, you know, it's kind of like when you go back now, let's say, to virtual reality. I remember when I got married in 1983, I remember going to a mall and you would pay like $10. That was a lot in 1983 for a ticket. And you would go on this round thing in the center of the mall. It was like a, a stage where you have a sword and you wear this 3D glasses or virtual reality glasses and you fight, and you were in the virtual, you know, all this. So virtual reality was made big during the early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, it disappeared from the world. Like, what happened to it? Of course, the, what, what happened was is that they found out that a lot of kids were getting major headaches watching mm-hmm. virtual reality. All of a sudden, now they've it's come back again. Somebody's trying to get money out of it, and you have major companies in Hollywood spending millions of dollars coming up with all this virtual reality stuff but they don't tell people it causes headaches you know like if you do a google search on it you'll see that you stand with one of those things for a while you get a headache and a good example is and i totally forgot about this is i'm at my my job and one of the guys that because where i live i mean where I, where I work they have a lot of high-tech people working for you know google's yahoo facebook and they they're paid to develop this brand new technology and this guy comes down with this, and I, I can't mention what it is or stuff because it, I think it's still in development. You got to try this, man. So he takes a picture of the surrounding and the whole thing cre- becomes virtual reality, right? I put on the thing and I'm walking around with this thing and it's like, you're going into things, you can open rooms, move tables. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like I, an it's like an Oculus type of thing. Yeah, it in. is. And But here's the yeah. thing, Chuck and, and Joe, I'm walking around and I got to tell you something. I did it for like 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever. And that day, uh, for like the rest of the day in the morning, I'm like, why the heck do I have this splitting headache that's right between my eyes? It's weird. I told my wife, I wonder if I'm catching a cold because it's not in the top of my forehead. It's it's like right between my eyes that I'm getting this weird headache. And then in dawn of me, that's that stupid virtual reality thing. Isn't that something? Wow. But they don't tell that. But that's what it does. It causes major headaches. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people out there that are watching uh, virtual reality probably get the headaches and they're like how come what is this maybe i gotta go to the doctor they have no idea what it is and and that's the whole thing they sell us on this like for example i gotta tell you they've come a long way with 3d oh, oh my you, you go to walt disney and there's some 3d effects there i remember my little granddaughter trying to grab a little bird that flew out of the screen yeah coming like right at your nose man and like i i think chuck i mentioned to you when i went to see the movie um Gravity with uh, uh, Sandra Bullock, right. one of my favorite actresses. I sat, it was a 3D thing, and I sat in that extra large, uh, what do they call those large theaters that are bigger IMAX than normal? Yeah, IMAX. 
And I sat right in the first row, okay? Wow. And I got this 3D glasses on. And I got to tell you, man, when that thing went around the earth and the space, it was actually <laughs> floating right above my head. I could, I was shocked. That's amazing. The movie was not that super great in your house, but if you watched it in its giant screen like that, oh, you yeah. could not be. I, I loved it. I loved it. And, and you know, 3D has come a long way. You don't need the green and red glasses like the one you get in that magazine, Dynamite. When, you know, when we used to get Dynamite in, uh, Oh yeah, <laughs> Arrow Books, Arrow Book Club, or whatever it was, or yeah. um, you know the what's the name of the other? It's it was uh, oh my god, what's the name of that that book club there from the Random House? I think it was Random House. I've said it before that I used to like, but anyway, in school they gave us that weekend order. I used to love that, but I gotta tell you, Joe, you know, you would the way they've come a long way in three D, but I think with virtual reality, they've come a long way, but they got to do something about why it causes headaches on people, you know? You know, I, I tell you what, I, I tried one of those uh, virtual reality things not too long ago at a, at a buddy's house, and it was a, um, I think it was a Jurassic Park one. So you had to, you were like sitting on this roller coaster and, you know, dinosaurs would pop up and, and you could shoot them and all that. My buddy, he goes, hey, he goes, do you want a seat? I said, no. I said, I, you know, I'll be fine. He goes, you might want to sit down. And I was like, no, you know, I'll be fine about <laughs> 10 seconds into the thing, I had to sit down because yeah. it, it was so realistic and lifelike. And then um, real quick, because we're, we're coming down to about three minutes here. There was another one where you're standing in the middle of the forest and dinosaurs will, will come up to you and, you know, you could pretend like you're petting them and all that. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking around. All of a sudden, a dinosaur moves and swings its tail and I... I literally ducked down like I was dodging the tail. I mean, it was, it was, I I tell you what, I I couldn't believe it. How, you know, how you could really get sucked into uh, that world. And it's actually kind of scary too. You know, we should do a whole podcast just on, you know, Mm -hmm. virtual reality and everything. But um, yeah, I I, I couldn't believe it. And I was contemplating buying a, a virtual reality set. And I just, I said, you know what? I said, I, I don't think this is something I need because I can see myself getting really sucked into it. And like Eddie said, you know, after a little while, it starts giving you a headache and everything. Yeah, and, it's not know, worth it. Yeah, I was in it for maybe about 10, 15 minutes screwing around with the different programs. And my <laughs> eyes actually hurt. They felt like they were kind of bugging out of my head. But, um, well, well hey, know, guys, Joe, what's up? Go ahead. Real quick, Eddie. I was going to say real quick, just to let you know that I, I actually, my, my son-in-law, he brought, uh, I think, eight hundred and something dollar virtual reality set, and there it is. He doesn't use it because of that reason. It's, it's just, it hurts, man. It bothers you. It's yeah. great. It's a great idea, and it's a great selling point. Yeah, but, I think just like just like anything, it, it'll end up changing, you know, over time, and it, you know, it'll start getting better, just like all technology. But yeah. hey, we're down to about the last minute here. So we definitely want to say thank you to all of our listeners out there uh, all over the world. Thank you for tuning in every week and uh, keep on tuning in because we got some great podcast ideas coming up for the new year, 2022. Um, Check us out on your, any, we're on every, pretty much every platform out there, man. Subscribe to our channel. uh, Give us a good five-star review. 
Uh, that way the algorithms pick us up and we get out to more people out there. Also, check us out on YouTube, House of the Unusual. Subscribe to our channel. Like the videos. Eddie and Chuck are always putting out some great stuff uh, every week. So definitely head over there and have some fun. Also, houseoftheunusual.com, our flagship site. We have a free forum site there. And uh, you could join that and have a lot of fun. People are always showing off some some great things. And uh, that's all we got. So this is our final podcast of the New Year, Happy New Year to everybody, and we will see you guys on the other side in 2022, and keep your eyes to the sky. Good night, everyone. And guys, God God bless everybody out there. Happy New Year. But I got to tell you one quick thing. Joe really blew my mind tonight with his knowledge of films from my era. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Caduce to you, Joe. Good night, guys. All right. God bless.